Welcome to the Infinite Global Podcast. Today's episode focuses on the ongoing debate around the changing face of PR as the traditional agency model continues to adapt to an evolving market. My guests today are Patrick Tua, an Infinite Global colleague who recently joined us as a director, and Steve Vinyl of Rackspace. He's here to offer his thoughts on the debate from the perspective of an in-house decision maker working very closely with agency partners. Thank you both for joining. Can you tell us a bit about your backgrounds for listeners who might not know you? Patrick, let's start with you. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, so I've recently joined Infinite Global as a director responsible for financial services in particular. My background is I'm a former journalist, worked on a number of national newspapers, latterly as business editor at the Mail on Sunday, moved into PR about, oh gosh, 15 years ago, initially in-house at KPMG and the Court Bank, and latterly on the agency side, and I've worked with lots of clients in financial services and professional services, and seen, I guess, a lot of changes over the course of my career, both as a journalist and in PR. Steve, can you tell us a bit about you, your background and what you do now for Rackspace? Hello. Well, thank you for having me today, Jamie. My name's Steve Vinyl. I am a communications director at Rackspace Technology. My main focus is looking after our EMEA-wide communications, so that's um, whether we're communicating to employees, customers, the market, media, and so on. I've been working in various marketing and communication roles for about 20 years, last 10, 15 years has really been focused on communications and I came up through mainly the internal communications routes. So probably the last six, seven years, my remit's expanded to pick up things like public relations, analyst relations, and so on. So I guess for the purpose of this, and obviously we're here to talk about traditional PR, I probably haven't experienced that much of the traditional PR and, and most of my experience has been in a much more new integrated digital kind of side of things. So I think a lot of what we're probably going to talk about today will resonate somewhat. Right, let's get into the subject of today's podcast. There's been a lot of talk in recent years about the death of traditional PR. I certainly don't see it as being as straightforward as that, but it's clear that the old model has been evolving for some time. Patrick, can you give me a summary of where you see the industry now as someone who, like me, has been on the receiving end of a press release with a background in journalism? You've seen changes from both perspectives. Yeah, no, it's really interesting because when I started out in journalism, PR was very much in its infancy then when it came to business and, and, and financial PR, definitely. What you actually saw as a journalist was very limited. So the impression that was formed was that PRs basically just sent out press releases. And and, and that's an impression that uh, that has kind of lingered, I guess, over the years. And I think, you know, the ordinary person in the street, if, if they knew what PR was at all might conclude that that is still the case. It's just about sending out press releases and maybe organising a few nice lunches. And, and it's definitely moved on a lot since then, not least as the demands of the media have, have changed as well. And the most obvious one there is, you know, around speed uh, of, of information flow and uh, uh, rolling deadlines. Um, so the importance of PR in, in that is... Ha- it's huge, actually, and, and growing. Um, you know, journalists want the background, they want the context which PRs can provide, and it's the same, I think, on you know the investor relations side of things, analyst relations as well. That ha- you know, 
the, the ability to be able to succinctly summarize what your client is trying to say or what this particular piece of content is about, uh, that there's a real premium on that. And uh, I think that's where, you know, it's a good example of where PRs can really add value in the day-to-day working life of a, of a journalist. I think to, to jump in there, if you don't mind, Jerry, I think another fascinating element to this, you talked about how the media landscape is changing, but also how the consumer landscape is changing. So if you if you think about, you know, the, the news cycle now and how people are digesting news, you know, most of the news is breaking on social. You know, you're not waking up and reading it the next day in a newspaper or waiting for that monthly publication to get delivered through your door to, to find that. You're, you're, you're learning from the news on social. Probably when stuff breaks and if it's significant to you, you're going to go on and turn on the 24-hour TV news channel to to follow that story. Um, so when you look at more traditional publishing and, the, and those those trades and those monthlies and, and or even online publications, I think the role that they're playing, in my opinion nowadays, is more of a, a reflective role. The, looking back on the story that broke a week ago and looking at it from different angles, overlaying different themes to, to report on it. So for me, I, I'm seeing that the opportunity for us to engage with media is around uh, opinion pieces and, and much richer information about a particular topic. And that's certainly something that we're focusing on at Rackspace and that, that works quite well for us. Thanks, Steve. I think that's quite an important point. And Patrick, it's one that I'd like to run past you as well. Obviously, technology has evolved over the past decade to a point where anyone with a decent internet connection can be a publisher in their own right. And lots of brands have embraced that. But if a firm wants to bypass journalists who've always been the gatekeepers that determined whether or not your content ended up in print or not, they can obviously do that now. But that does also open up new risks. And I wonder what your thoughts were on that. Um, Well, it's definitely a trend. There's no doubt about that uh, to try for 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 companies, for clients to try to bypass traditional media um, using platforms like LinkedIn. And, um, you know, that's perfectly valid. It's a great way of reaching you know, your, your, your target audience, you know, and you can measure it and, and, and so on. Um, I think to do that to the exclusion of traditional media relations uh, is dangerous. Um, and the reason I say that is, well, well probably twofold. One, um, you risk ending up, if you don't engage with media on a, on a regular basis, you risk end up being in, in, in an echo chamber, um, uh, particularly on social media. Um, and um, that, that is dangerous. And I think, secondly, it, it can lull it can lull you into a false sense of security as well. Um, you know, uh, the, the traditional media still, by and large, sets a lot of the uh, agenda out there. Uh, obviously, stories break on social media all the time. Um, but uh, the role of, 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 of the tr- traditional media is still to set agendas. Um, and um, while they can't do that necessarily to the extent that they used to, uh, I still think there's a very important role to play for them there. And I think... Uh, companies who, who forget that do so at their peril, um, uh, which is why traditional media relations, as, 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 as we understand it, I don't think will ever disappear, quite the opposite. Yeah, I agree. And I want to delve more into that a bit later with a question that focuses specifically on that issue. Steve, 
In terms of self-publishing, how is Rackspace adapting to the opportunities out there to create your own content? Is that something that you see value in? And what are the risks attached to that from your perspective? Yeah, it's an interesting landscape. And I think um, it's it has to happen that way. You know, I think um, we, as a, as a marketing organization, we are in the business of creating compelling content that tells the story that we want audiences to hear and then delivering that through various channels. And whether that's our own content that we put on blogs or whether that's stuff that we share on social, um, we want to be telling a consistent story. So we don't ever want to isolate the different forms of delivering that message. So, um, you know, it, and, and we're, we're always looking for economies. You know, if we can create one piece of content and deliver it through six different channels, it's a no-brainer. It, it makes sense. I think, to your point, Patrick, what we get from more traditional PR and what we can't replicate, for me, there are two things. The, the relationships that we build with the media are important to us. We want the media to come to us for comments. If there's a, a story about something in our space, we would like to... We, we love picking up the phone and, and answering those questions and providing comment. And of course, that's good for us as a business. But the second piece, and it's obvious, but we benefit from the credibility of publications and the third party aspect of it. It's all very well us telling the world how amazing we are, but so much better when um, someone else does it for us. My, uh, We have a brilliant PR leader in Amir, uh, Devika Mystery, and, and she talks about the witch effect you know which publication you're going to trust a review on a lawnmower that they do versus a a review that black and decker do themselves on their lawnmower so um that's the one thing we get from more traditional pr and from coverage is third party validation and and we also get that from our customers as well for me they're they're the two routes where i would prefer a customer or a journalist to tell our story than than have us tell it ourselves What about specific content generation? So aside from traditional PR, is Rackspace focused in creating its own content to supplement that? And if so, what formats are you focusing on? What are the platforms that you're most interested in? I think the the majority of us, um, I mean, thought leadership is a broad and overused term, right? But the the majority of it is thought leadership that we will post. uh, And we have our own thought leadership hub called the Solve Hub that is where we we put all of that content for me that's that's where it starts and where when we're doing it right we're then taking that content because that's an opinion piece on you know the classic being trends in the industry or new technology and how it can be used in business or business challenges all of these themes that we want to be talking about if it starts as a piece of thought leadership that we publish and own our PR team will then be trying to get that, uh, you know, link that and, and newsjack certain stories using that as our basis. We will put that out on social media that may be gated content so that that, we, that leads into the demand generation play. That may just be something that we're putting out there as a, as a piece of interest. We'll then look to supplement that through uh, our employees, our employee base uh, on their own channels. Again, that's a brilliant way for us to get that content out there. But again, for me, if it if it starts with a single piece of content around a single theme, we can then tailor it and 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 fit it to the appropriate channels. But we're telling a consistent story. 
Patrick, Steve mentioned earlier that his firm still sees value in media relationships. With the way that media relations has changed over the years, some firms have started to veer away from building and maintaining those close connections. Do you think that people are neglecting that face time with the media? And so when they need to have important conversations with them, be that in times of a crisis or looking to sell something in, that they're really just beginning from scratch. Is that something you currently see? Um, I think it is, it's certainly become harder to do to do that, to, to really cultivate uh, long-term media relations uh, for two reasons. You know, there was the general sort of shift which technology has accelerated towards people, you know, uh, just not being able to get out of the office because of these rolling deadlines and so on. Um, and of course, the pandemic has ex- accelerated that even further. So I think particularly for starting out, both as a journalist and in PR, to be perfectly honest, building up those re- relationships in, in in the real world outside of the social uh, social media platforms, I think that's really, really difficult now. And, and, and what I've found is the opposite has happened, where you've got established relationships built up over time have really paid dividends in the last year or so as people work from home and work remotely. Um, you know, the, the, it, having those in place um, makes a huge difference. Um, whereas just starting from scratch with a blank page, I think that that is really, really hard. And hopefully, yeah, it, it is a pendulum swing and we'll, we'll come back to something which is somewhere in the middle because clearly you know you can get a lot of access very quickly um uh, through zoom and teams but you know if you don't know this person already um and you're trying to develop a, a relationship solely on that basis that's tough it's too early to tell whether it whether it works and how it works and for how long and how durable um but you know a move back to a more sort of hybrid way of working more generally i think we'll see those relationships develop in, in, in a different way to how they were in the past, it will, it will be different. Um, but I do think it's, 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 it's changing and, and, and we're all having to adapt. Yes, and, and to put an in-house kind of focus and lens on that, I think, Patrick, you said there that there are times when companies will need and benefit from that media relationship. And, and that's certainly what I'm trying to, I need to manage with my stakeholders and my executives, that we can't just call on the, you know, create relationships when we need them, when we want to sell something, when we need to, when something's gone wrong and we need to talk about it, they they need to invest that time in those relationships so that they're at the end of a phone when required. And and it's always a balancing act because you need to, you, you can't have them spending all their time doing that. You, you need to be selective. You need to think carefully about those key relationships that are required. And, and I think to reflect on another piece you said there, the the Zoom, the benefits of doing Zoom are incredible because for me, you know, we're not central London. So to get uh, a spokesperson into London for a cup of coffee and then back out of London, you know, for their for their meeting, that, that's two, two and a half hours out their day minimum. You know, and we're only, you know, a 20 minute journey away, but, you know, the, the commute and the and the the faffing around that happens with that that's a lot to ask of a of a senior exec on the basis that they may or may not get coverage and it may or may not be good coverage now if i can sell in a 20 minute zoom chat in between meetings it's a lot easier uh, from our point now the issue of metrics is something that the industry has long battled with and agencies and their clients often have very different views on which data is of most value here 
Certainly the pandemic has accelerated this trend towards firms becoming more fixated on hits and reach. Patrick, do you think that companies are maybe a little too focused now on some of these metrics because of the push towards digital? Are we in danger of creating new vanity metrics? And how do you balance that as a PR consultant when talking to clients? Do you think that there's an issue here? Well, yes. Um, I mean, metrics are fine, but they need to be meaningful. And, um, you know, unless they are, the, the, it's, it's just measuring for measuring sake. And you're right, you know, PR's always had a, a, an issue here in a way that marketing uh, and advertising has had less so. And the shift to digital makes this a lot, a lot more, well, it appears to make it a lot easier um, and, and, and makes PR impact a lot more measurable um i i i have my doubts but in part because um as you said you know a lot of the time you're trying to keep stuff out of the media um and and no coverage um um and, and no social media chatter is a is a big win in in, in some situations uh, so that's the first thing um and then secondly with the actual measurement metrics um i i, I mean i I'm no expert, but I just wonder, you know, speakers, someone likes a post or, even, you know, retweets it, you know, is, you know, how deep and meaningful is that level of, of, of engagement? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it if it leads to a, a, a you know, a contract or a, an order, then fantastic. Yes. You know, you, you, but for me, that could be, you know, as anecdotal as, as you know, or more anecdotal than than perhaps, you know, a measurement metric might suggest. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm. I'm interested in what C said, but I, I'm. You know, I, I've always struggled with measurement in PR. I've always wondered. You know, does it actually tell you what you want, what you and the client want to hear, um, as opposed to what you actually suspect in your gut? It's as much an art as as, as a science. Steve, this brings me back to a point you made to me before the podcast about justifying budgets. It's becoming more and more difficult to sell in the value of no coverage and having been kept out of the press. With all the metrics in the world, this is a really difficult value to pin down. And this is an issue in a world where people are more and more fixated on hard numbers. Look, if, if we take the crisis piece out of it for now, I can definitely talk for chapter and verse on that. But just metrics alone is a... Is a topic I could talk for a fair time on now because it's it's you know it's what I'm living um and I think you know it's been exaggerated by COVID uh and and the scenario we're going in there's not a single peer that I know of you know working in multiple industries that isn't facing uh challenge around budgets and more accountability around budgets and and whether that's the company themselves are impacted whether that's the customers of the company are impacted um or whether that's you know even companies that are, are flying and and there's big demand for their products we're we're in such an uncertain environment that you know most prudent companies are preparing for a, a rainy day sometime in the future. So all of this is playing out, you know, whatever environment you're in, all of this is playing out in budgets. Now I, I sit on a couple of different marketing leadership teams. And so I'm constantly competing, you know, frankly competing for budget against demand generation budgets, against digital budgets, against these, these budgets that have a very clear return on investment and, uh, 
measurable. It's very easy to say, give me, give me one pound here and I'll return three pounds back. I'll return 10 pounds back. Now, as, as we all know, I, I don't have that luxury with PR. I don't have that luxury with internal communications. So a big part of my role is about building a compelling case for that and trying to create metrics that can prove that. And, and that's where, for me, digital comes. And that's why I, I don't think we can, we can separate traditional PR from new digital PR because, and, and if I, you know, it's about that integrated mix. So if I, if we secure a brilliant piece of coverage, then of course we're going to put it on social. Then of course we're going to put it in the hands of sellers. We're going to put it in the hands of our employees and ask them to, to share that. Now, the minute that goes out on our social channels and, and if we put some very modest budget behind it, we soon begin to see that people are engaging with that content. And that then becomes more meaningful than, than saying, oh, we, we secured this piece of coverage and a million people read that publication by saying, actually, not only have we got that, but we've put it on our own social channel and we've had this engagement level. People have actually read it, liked it and engaged with it. That becomes more powerful, but still back to your point of meaningful, Patrick, that's still not completely meaningful at that point because a like is a like. When we then get to say, and when we get to integrate it into our marketing funnel and say, and actually what's really interesting is we know that that individual liked it and then that individual then turned up on our page that talks about the solution we're referring to or that talks about the business challenge, that then becomes more meaningful because you're driving action through PR. And then when you close the loop and you see that person or that company in Salesforce as a lead, there's a leap. You know, you can't say that that one piece of coverage was the only thing that drove that. But you can certainly say that PR has played a part in in informing a customer about who we are, the industry that we work in, all the way through to a lead. And that's where that's where it becomes a lot more meaningful. So I don't think PR can be treated. I, I think if we just look at coverage, it could it can become more of an ego play. It can become more of a, a nice to have. But when we can actually tie that into you know, actually, this customer came to us and we know that they engage with this piece of coverage. That becomes a lot more powerful. It's it's right now it's hard to do. Uh, um, it's getting easier every day with, with various MarTech and so on. But so it, it's a bit more forensic than I'd like it to be right now. But it's not far off that we'll be able to, to see an impact on the bottom line and, the, and our sales bookings from PR coverage. I think that integrated approach is the logical endpoint for our industry. Most of the campaigns that we work on as an agency are multi-channel and the idea of trying to separate PR and digital doesn't really make sense anymore. I'm probably not the biggest fan of the term digital anyway because most of what we do involves a computer or a handheld device. It's not like we send out paper press releases or faxes anymore. Really, we're all talking about the same thing to move the conversation on though. We need to get to a point where the industry doesn't really see that distinction anymore. Absolutely. So just as you've got multiple channels now, you've got multiple stakeholders as well. And you know, ev everyone potentially has has a voice. So yes, you know, media relations or PR, call it what you will, could sit at the heart of the messaging, could sit at the heart of the outreach. Um, but ultimately, you know, you've got to cater for every stakeholder group uh, and use every platform that's available to you to reach those various and disparate stakeholder 
groups. Um, you know, it needs coordination. It needs integration. I would always argue that comms, for want of a better word, should sit at the heart of that. But um, it, it, either, however you structure it, you know, you, you can't, you just can't ignore the, the realities of, of of the digital world that we now live in. Right, and the fundamentals are the same whether or not you're creating a content or PR campaign. You still need to decide what your key messages are, your audiences, your calls to action. The formats and the channels might evolve, but the essence of what we do hasn't changed and it won't change. I 100% agree. And, and look, we're, I think we're all violently agreeing, which is great. But I have, I have seen PR programs that stand alone and almost own agenda and try you know and and you have a a marketing team and and then you send marketing team to a business right to a sales floor to therefore an executive suite focused in one way and a pr program off somewhere else and it sounds crazy to say out loud but i've seen it and and for me that's you know that pr you know for me it's all about credibility internally it's all, all about showing business value and you know earning earning the money we're given and earning the respect of the people that we we have to engage with and and that just can't come when the pr has its own agenda because it it for me it often becomes pr for the sake of pr or pr for the sake of wow we got we got page three in the times which is yeah great but if it's not telling an integrated story and if no one else is bought into it in the business then it it's serving nobody other than often the PR team. So it, it has to be lined up. I, I can't see anywhere it's not. And it just, for me, it becomes so much powerful when it is aligned to business metrics. Yeah, you see that sometimes with um, with brands who uh, go for sort of these one-off hits. So they, you know, let's say it's a challenger or a startup brand um, and they commission a fantastic piece of research and it gets you know really good headlines because it's a great piece of research and they've got their name in print and you know they, and it's, it amplifies on social and so on but that's it you never hear of the brand again you know that's as good as it gets and i think you know anyone it's like selling baked beans anyone can sell a tin of baked beans for 15p anyone can get coverage for the sake of it you know um but it's what you it's what you do with it and how it's part of a, a wider integrated campaign that really or, or strategy which really really matters and uh, you know that's that can be forgotten in in sometimes in the hunt for hitting uh, metrics targets actually okay one final question before we go then we briefly alluded to the changes in the sector in the way that firms are dealing with crisis situations. From an in-house perspective, how has the perception of crisis and the way that it's managed changed? Have there been any issues that have risen from the way that the sector has evolved over the last five years? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's the one that, of anything, any part of my job, the, the potential for a crisis is obviously the one that, that keeps me awake at night if anything does. And, and it's such a hard balance. Because you can spend your, you know, you need to spend half your working week preparing for various crises, um, which means you're doing half as much work, but you're, you're ready if and when it hits. But I, I guess, look, one thing COVID has taught us is you don't know what to expect. Um, so I think, you know, and, and from our customers' point of view, I mean, all of our customers that I've spoke with have had, you know, had some sort of a, business continuity planning, but not one of them had a global pandemic listed as a possible outcome. So, 
you know, I think for me, crisis is about a few things. There, There's the ones that you can plan for. You know, for me, it would be a challenge at one of our data centers. Of course, it would be a security breach. It would be one of those things that you can expect from your industry. And of course, you need that that run book that you're ready to go and you can you can have the planned comms ready to go and, and mobilize the team quickly. But I think for a lot of it, it's about having agility. It's about having good processes in and it's about being ready and able to move fast when something happens. And whether that's a global pandemic, whether that's a, you know, anything else that goes on, the ability to move fast is important. So I think that's all about just having that that backbone of a team there and good processes in place. And again, I think just the theme of the podcast maybe is around integrating in social as well, more than anything. I think that's where the, the crisis is going to play out more often than not on your social channels with your customers asking you questions with uh you know speculation and so on so that's where it's really important to be on the front line i think media relations then can often help in that clear up or the you know a bit more time to reflect on the situation and 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 plan and prepare for those those media statements but for me if if in the early days of a crisis if you give me a person to work solely on that crisis i would probably embed that person in the social media team initially just to to be on the ground to see how it's playing out and respond appropriately because going silent through those channels or or not um you know at the very worst continuing your social media program while there's something playing out can be very damaging for a brand and whoever you've got in place as your community manager is the first responder so if they're not completely embedded with your pr and crisis strategy then you've got the wrong person who's out on the firing line and I, and I have seen examples of um, crisis, crisis is anything, right? From, uh, you know, huge global to something very micro to, to us as a company. But I've seen example in previous companies where, you know, we've had pushback or by customers because things aren't working as they should be. Uh, but we've continued marketing messages through social channels. And that is just so tone deaf. You're telling us you're not happy and we're going to tell you how great this service we can sell you is. So it's just being, it's common sense that you need to see what's going on and respond. And, and you know, first thing you've got to do is put a pause on business as usual, PR, you know, any external communications while you assess the landscape. Yeah, no, I'd agree with all that, Steve. Um, and the thing about crises is, you know, each one is different. So with the pandemic, I mean, the obvious thing that was different was it actually affected everyone. Um, and it, the way it played out for most companies um, was that the core uh, focus of their uh, engagement was actually uh, internal comms. Um, you know, some companies, obviously, it, you know, it, was, it, it involved other uh, uh, stakeholders and played out on, on a much bigger stage. Um, but for every company, internal comms has been, you know, or should should be and have been the uh, in front and centre in in the communications response to the crisis that was and and and, and sadly remains uh, the pandemic. Um, and yeah, that's not always the case. I mean, often in a crisis, unfortunately, employees are often 
the last um, uh, uh, stakeholder group to find out. Uh, so, for instance, if you're a PLC and you're, I don't know, closing a factory or making staff redundant, you know, you might have to tell tell your investors first before you tell the people who are actually directly going to be affected. Which is never, which is never a good look. First of all, particularly if you're uh, one of the affected employees, um, but it is, you know, th those are the rules of the game. So sometimes, you know, your response is is dictated by by the constraints under which you operate. Other times, you, you, you could you could be hamstrung from a PR perspective because of the legal considerations. Um, so there may be more that you want to say and do, but you can't, you know, be you know, for, for legal reasons. So each crisis is different and there are different constraints and, and, and constituents, I guess, to consider. Um, but uh, what's what's been unique about this one is it's affected everyone um, directly. And that's why the internal comms piece has been so, so important. And companies who've got it right, um, you know, will really reap the rewards, I think. Um, uh, and and uh, showing humility, um, being able to communicate openly and honestly in a timely way has never been more important, you know, particularly with, with your colleagues. It's been great having you both on today. Thank you for contributing to the debate and sharing your insight. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much indeed. You've been listening to a special podcast from Infinite Global. For more information about us, the work we do, or how we can help your firm, visit our website at www.infiniteglobal.com.